your way. Alrighty, good morning, y'all. Good job being here, by the way. <laughs> Losing an hour of sleep. Um, you know, I was thinking, things could always be worse, right? You could be Scott and Holly and already lost two hours flying back from L.A. and then lose another hour overnight. So, good job to them, too, for making it. So, if you want to find your way to Mark 14, that's where we're going to be at today. Uh, we're going to wrap up the chapter. But um, I will say that in preparation for this lesson, uh, this lesson for me has uh, been a very sobering one. Um, it's been humbling, but at the same time, it's been uh, just a tremendous blessing too. So I really hope that um, I'm able to convey some of the things and it will be helpful to you as well. So as a believer in Christ, hopefully uh, you're believers uh, in Christ, and if you are, we have such of a uh, special opportunity to, to witness to people around us, to, um, to be as Jesus to others. So whether that be in our just families and you know, with our siblings, I know that's probably the toughest situation, uh, but also in schools, in, uh, in your friend groups, in your community, uh, wherever you might be at, we have the unique opportunity to live and love as Jesus has, right? So in our minds, we have um, this like uh, model of what we want to be like, right? And we, we think we know how we want to respond. But as the verse says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. A lot of times we find ourselves kind of falling short, right? Or even um, really kind of uh, tanking out and shrinking back when... When we're faced with circumstances that are hard and difficult, when we are supposed to be letting our light shine brightly, we kind of have a tendency to kind of like clam up, right? And even uh, it can be viewed from the outside of being ashamed of the gospel. And that's a sad thing. And uh, so what we're going to be looking at uh, today in our lesson is it's not going to be a message of condemnation and making us feel all bad. Um, about our failure and how we can't do it on our own. Um, but that, that per, there's hope in this lesson that we can't do it on our own and that we will need to lean on God's help for being a true and faithful witness. So I gave you, I think I did, well, on your uh, seats should be an outline. And so the, our first point of the outline here for you to fill in, we'll walk through that together is our main point here for today is obedience to God requires death to self. Sounds encouraging, right? <laughs> it will be. It will be. Obedience to God requires death to self. So before we get any further along here, um, if you'd like to stand, that would be awesome. And we'll read together. Mark 14, 53 through 72. All right, so here we go. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and elders and scribes came together, and Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. 
but they found none. For many bore false witness against them, but their testimony did not agree. Some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is this that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Some began to spit on him and cover his face and to strike him, saying, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. Then as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, seeing Peter warming himself. She looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And they went out of the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and swear, I do not know this man whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. Peter remembered how Jesus said, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. All right, thank you. You may be seated. Uh, let, me, let me pray. Father, thank you. Um, thank you for your word and how it uh, just kind of cuts deep and it gets down to the heart of the matter. And um, Lord, this is a lesson that uh, really requires us to be um, truly open and, and true to ourselves and, and humble um, to allow your word to uh, reach down uh, to the depths of, of realizing that um, we can't do what we want to do on our own, that we need help. And uh, God, in this humility, I pray that you would just open uh, open our hearts to that, that you would just uh, speak uh, true hope, that you would reveal to us your your word and what you wanted to communicate to us here this morning. Please use me to do this. In Jesus' name, amen. If you remember, if you were here last week, we had Scott Cruzy come here, and he uh, taught us some of the events that happened uh, just right before what we read here now. Does anybody want to just mention any one of those events that he talked about last week? Anybody remember anything that he mentioned? It can be really vague. Remember anything that we talked about last week? How about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples, right? Praying. Got any others? 
Judas selling Jesus out, right? Betraying and bringing the guards to come and get Jesus. What about Peter lobbing off the guy's ear, right? And Jesus casually puts it back on and tells the people, why do you come at me with clubs and weapons? And then he goes off with them voluntarily. Anybody remember a man running around naked? That kind of stood out in my mind that I really hoped that I would just kind of forget about. But yeah, that was mentioned too. Anybody remember uh, Jesus' prediction about Peter's denial? About how Peter's going to betray him? We'll read those verses again just to recap because I think those are specifically important to what we're going to be reading about today. So I need uh, two volunteers, one from over here and one from over here. Um, Just read two verses. Well, one of you will read three verses. And I don't think there's any really hard words in there. Maybe emphatically might be difficult on a morning where you lost an hour of sleep. But volunteer over here and a volunteer over here. It's from the same section that we just read, so you're just repeating it. Thanks, Kate. You want to be Jesus or Peter? Okay, good choice. All right, you'll be Jesus. All right, so we got uh, Kate and Lincoln here. So, uh, so Lincoln, you will read uh, 14, 27, and 28, and then Kate verses 29, and then Lincoln 30, and then Kate 31. Got it? All right, you can be as dramatic as you want since you're talking to each other siblings, so, yeah. All right, so, Lincoln, yeah, yes, why don't you start us off? Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Then he said, Emphatically. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. So just to recap here, Peter says, you'll fall away. Peter says, even though they, the disciples, even though they might fall away, I will not. Jesus says, this, even this very night, you will deny me three times. Peter didn't think that would be the case, did he? He said, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And then all the disciples said the same. So if you remember uh, from Scott Cruzy, the, uh it really wasn't that long after this. They were in the garden and Jesus is asking them to stay awake, to stay on guard while Jesus goes and prays. And all three times, what happens to the disciples? What do they do? Fall yeah, they fell asleep. Exactly. So Jesus reminds them, and this is kind of a key verse here for the whole thing, is, is just how the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus is warning them what is already taking place, what is already happening in them. And so uh, they all, uh, when the guards came and took Jesus, they all fled. Um, when you read the account of John, um, Jesus is actually 
um, asking the guards to let the disciples go. So I don't know if there's necessarily a sense where they're just like, just took out sprinting away, running. But they did all scatter. They did all flee as prophesied. And then, um, so even, this even includes uh, Peter, who is a chief apostle, the one that Jesus had just named the rock, the person that God will build his church through. And so the next thing that we see here is Peter following at a distance, not close to Jesus, not with the guards, his following at a distance. So this is quite a bit different than the, than the boldness that you normally see coming from Peter, right? So they head just one kilometer southwest of the Garden of Gethsemane to Caiaphas's house, who's a high priest. Uh, by the way, as a side note, there's now a, a church, uh, St. Peter's Church, and it's called Cock Crow. I just think that that's kind of neat. Um, not going anywhere with that, just a little side note. So we're going to look at... Uh, at Jesus's trial, so we're going to look at Jesus as being the perfect model of a faithful witness here, and then after that, um, we're going to look at Peter's uh, not so great uh, example and role in this as as a as a witness. So as we consider um, obedience to God requiring death to self, we're going to look at our first point here, and that is Jesus, the flawless witness. Jesus, the flawless witness, and then uh, you can just point out uh, point A there too, desperate attempts to accuse Jesus, a fail for the Sanhedrin. So Jesus is has taken to um, Caiaphas's house, brought before the Sanhedrin, and uh, something that you should probably know about the Sanhedrins is that it's the highest ruling court for the Jews. It consists of priests, elders, uh, experts of the law. And so their goal was to bring Jesus down. And even more than that, not only to bring him down, but they wanted him crucified. So they want him to deserve the highest penalty they can possibly offer, which is the death penalty. And I ain't going to lie to you, before I uh, started studying this, I didn't have the foggiest idea, like, who the Sanhedrin were, what they did, their function. But in reading and studying, find out that this is anything but a normal case for them. They go way far beyond the boundaries of what they normally do in a trial. Normally, they give the people the benefit of the doubt until proven guilty. Um, Here, it seems like they completely have their mind made up, 100%. This guy is guilty. We We need to try him right now. Normally, they would, uh, all their trials would be during the day. Um, it isn't really recorded that any of the trials happened at night, so, and certainly not before the Sabbath, certainly not before a festival like the Passover. Um, they were, they strong witnesses, in, uh, they strongly encouraged the witnesses to tell the truth. They even had, uh, if, if, Two witnesses said this kind of the same thing, but not the same thing. They would have to throw it out. Capital cases of death penalty required a second meeting the following day. That didn't happen. So all that to say, they're very desperate. 
They're very desperate to accuse Jesus, and they're willing to do whatever it takes. Uh, one commentator, Edwards, he says, uh, the Sanhedrin short-circuited procedures in order to expedite Jesus' execution. So as we're reading here in the ESV, it says the, the Sanhedrin, they were seeking for testimony against Jesus. The NIV says they were looking for evidence against Jesus. And did they find any? No. They didn't find any evidences. So uh, what do they do? They resort to starting to bore false, uh, false witness. And so remember, these are, these are experts of the law. These are leaders of the Jews. So they would have had Scripture memorized. They would have known prophecies. They would have for sure had the Ten Commandments memorized, right? And here you see them willfully breaking the Ninth Commandment, Thou shalt not bore false witness. And not only do they do so, but to God himself, against God himself. Interesting. So their accusation, what they brought uh, forward, saying that Jesus said in verse 58, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and then three days later I will build another not made with hands. Just to point out, Jesus never said that. That was something that was um, that they twisted around. Uh, Jesus never said that he is going to destroy the temple. He said that the, that the temple is going to be destroyed and that it would be rebuilt in three days. But they're trying to put words in his mouth saying that he said that the temple is going to be destroyed. What about the three days the temple will be rebuilt, not with hands? Anybody got any guesses on what that means? Any guesses? It's not too hard. I think you got it. Yeah, he's going to raise from the dead, right? So at the time, people gathered together in actual temple buildings. But Jesus is replacing that. Dying on the cross for his sins, his being resurrected to the right hand of the Father. And so now, what's being given to all believers when Jesus resurrects from the dead? The H.S. I, th- I might have heard it. Holy Spirit, good job. Good job, guys. Um, he's going to give the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to be placed in believers, and the believers, we are now the Holy Temple. Okay? So Jesus is replacing that. So, moving on to our next point. So even, even in their testimony, even in their accusations, Two or more witnesses, they couldn't get it to line up. They, they failed at that, so they're throwing that out. Uh, our next point here is Jesus' perfect obedience, his reliance on God. So since this isn't working, the high priest stood up among them and he asked, Have you no answer to make? What is this that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Why do you think Jesus remained silent? Any guesses? There's probably a few different reasons for this. Why do you think Jesus remained silent? Yeah. Ooh, nice. 
That's good. Yep. Definitely one of them. He knew that it was God's will for him to die. In fact, um, Isaiah 53, it was already prophesied that this was going to happen. That he was going to be oppressed, afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Like a sheep that is before his shear is silent, he opened not his mouth. Jesus knew it was going to happen. He knew what needed to be done. Perhaps Jesus knew that it really didn't matter anyway. If he opened up his mouth, they're just going to be twisting his words again. He wanted to condemn him. But also another point is notice that Jesus isn't concerned at all about preserving his life here. He's not standing up. He's not rattling off a bunch of things of why, um, why he's innocent. Seems like he's calm. He's, he's not concerned about preserving his life here. He's most focused about carrying out the will of the Father. His reliance is on God the Father. Again, high priest, seeing that uh, this isn't going anywhere, he asked Jesus directly, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Which, he used the word blessed. A lot of times they didn't want to use the actual name of God because they feared misusing the divine and sacred name of God. And so... Jesus responds with kind of the same terminology. He said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, which is God, and coming with the clouds of heaven. Until this point, Jesus has completely kept who he was somewhat veiled in public ministry. Um, you'll notice, like, when he was, uh, if he performed a miracle, if he healed somebody, often he would tell them, don't go and tell anybody. The time is now, is not come yet. Well, now the time has come, and Jesus is publicly telling them, openly affirming that he is himself God, claiming to be God's son, that he will judge the earth. And that alone seemed to be enough to put things into action as far as condemning him to death, even though he never truly blasphemed God's name. They took it as that. Third point under God being the flawless witness is God is in full control. So I'd like to point out on this is just in all the attempts that these guys are bringing against Jesus, not one of them, none of their accusations or anything has led them anywhere. It's all a fail. They can't condemn Jesus to death. They can't prove that he's guilty of any wrongdoing because God's flawless. He's, he's perfect. It isn't only until, what, until Jesus initiates that process, says who he is, that things are actually being put into place, which, I mean, that's a perfect uh, example that, that it's all in God's hands. It's all in his plan. No one is taking Jesus and, and taking him away against his own will and killing him. Jesus is going willingly, voluntarily, doing it God's way and God's timing. 
how amazing that is. That's pretty cool. So Sanhedrin, he stands up and he rips his garments dramatically as a judicial statement and saying, what else do we need, guys? What do you think? Guilty of death? And they all agree, guilty of death. They begin to, uh, they covered his face, they, they spit on him, they, they beat him. And they asked him to prophesy which one hit him. How ironic is this? Listen, they're asking him to prophesy when, in very fact, he had already prophesied this exact moment, this event, back in Isaiah 56. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. The fact that even what they're doing, Jesus already called them out on that. Interesting. So at a quick glance, it appears that Jesus is on trial before the Sanhedrin. And uh, matter of fact, Sanhedrin will one day stand on trial before Jesus, the Son of Man. In the end, he will be the one to judge justly. So that's our first example. That's our first flawless example. Our second is, is Peter. And uh, in your second point there, you can write down Peter, the fallen witness. And then a weak attempt to call out Peter, a fail for Peter. A lot of times Peter gets a bad rap, right? We're critical of Peter and his, his actions. Um, but I want us to humbly listen and take a sobering look at Peter here. So Peter... Uh, we should recall, is at least bold enough to follow behind at a distance. He may not be right up there with him, but there wasn't many following behind, going right into the courtyard along with the guards and the, the servants of the high priest. This is the chief apostle, one who has lived with Jesus for three years, who seen in, uh, Jesus perform miracles, moments just right before, just put on the guy's ear. He was taught, discipled by Jesus, again prophesied as being the rock on who Christ will build the church. Yet this bravest, brashest disciple failed that night. So let's try to put ourselves in the same shoes and try to think of what we would have done. So it's around March and April, about this same time of year. It's cold enough at night to require a fire if you're going to be out. Um, a lot of the servants were, were out, uh, you know, getting Jesus, bringing him back. They're observing all this commotion going on. Peter's has been out outside quite a bit. He has been in the Garden of Gethsemane praying with Jesus and following at a distance behind him in the courtyard. So his chili, warming up by the fire, and the servant girl, which in the book of John uh, refers to her as a... a a doorkeeper, young, maybe even around your, your all age to hear, ask Peter, you also are with a Nazarene, Jesus. So this wouldn't have been the greatest compliment Peter probably took because uh, to be a Nazarene, um, the Judean Jews often looked down on people of that region. So whatever it may be, 
Peter denied it. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. He denies Jesus in front of this servant girl. One commentator says the the preceding officer in this trial against Peter was not one of the rulers of the Jews, not a noble of the community or the Sanhedrin members, but a servant girl who had no status, no power, or authority. So why did he do it? Why did he deny Jesus in front of this humble servant girl? Perhaps Peter loved himself too much. Perhaps he was worried about taking his life into his own hands and trying to save his life on how he failed. This leads right on into our next point in the outline. Peter's disobedience, his reliance on self. Peter moves at this point to another location, a little bit closer to the exit, uh, in case he needs to make a quick getaway, perhaps. And if you can imagine watching this girl, she's called you out, she knows who you are. She's probably talking to others, hey, look, it's Peter over there, or one of the disciples. It'd be kind of awkward to see all this kind of taking place. Might make you sweat a little bit. Regardless, they came up to Peter and was talking to each other, and this man is one of them. But Peter denies it again. And this time, not only to just one servant girl, but he starts denying Jesus in front of others, too. Verse 70 says that after a little while, the, the bystanders again say to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. In other words, you're... By the way you talk, your accent is giving you away. You are a Galilean. You're not fooling us. And here we see Peter's denial is the, the strongest one yet. He says that he began to invoke a curse on him and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Anybody go to camp? Winter camp this year. Pastor Jay Lennington, you know him, right? Here's what he says about the situation. He says, Peter isn't cussing, but swearing by God's name that if what he says isn't true, that God should curse him. Peter can't even bring himself to say the name Jesus, just this man of whom you speak. Hmm. At this very sad moment, you hear the, the rooster crow. Peter instantly recalls what Jesus had already predicted was going to happen before the rooster crows twice. You're going to deny me three times. Peter, the rock, hits rock bottom. When you look at the account of Luke twenty-two sixty-one, at this very moment of the denial... He looks across the courtyard and meets the eyes of Jesus. Can you imagine you making a mess of this situation and you look up into the eyes of your Lord, but yet you don't see a look of judgment and condemnation, but you see a tender, gentle look of compassion towards you. 
even in all this, there's, there's hope to be found. Last point under Peter here is God's in full control, just as in God's in full control of Jesus' trial. Jesus knew this would happen. He knew um, he, he had called out uh, Peter's failure. Even six chapters back when he was talking to the disciples in Mark eight thirty four and 38, he says, calling the crowd and with him and his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it prosper for a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes into the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Peter had a really hard lesson to learn that night and he, he, learned, he needed to be broken and he needed to understand that as long as his being self-reliant is going to fail no matter what he desires what he thinks is going to do our flesh our spirit is, is willing but our flesh is weak thankfully God is not one here to, to lord it over us and say you goofy kid I knew you'd blew it, blow it no is not quick to judge and condemn, but is quick to forgive and to restore. And so this isn't the end of the story. Thankfully for Peter, Peter became a strong, spirit-filled leader who witnessed to the most powerful leaders of that day, even when demanded by them to stop preaching in Jesus' name. He said to them, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or threaten them? We must obey God rather than human beings. Later on in, in Peter's life, he, he would be crucified, became a martyr, taking up his cross, following Jesus. In the end, he entrusted himself to judge justly. And right there, that's your last point on the notes. Application, entrust yourself to him who judges justly. So with a, a lesson like this, um, a lot of times it might make, make you feel a bit down, right? <laughs> Not the most encouraging lesson. Thanks, Justin. But it is encouraging because we shouldn't be able to do it on our own. Feeling down is okay as long as it's godly sorrow and not worldly sorrow. And the difference is this. Worldly sorrow is like Judas. You betray, you blow it. Did he regret it? He did regret it. He tried to turn it around. He tried to give money back for betraying Jesus. But then he went to self-pity and he eventually hung himself because his betrayal was, was permanent. Peter, on the other hand, He blew it. He betrayed Jesus. But he wept and he repented of his self-reliance. And he turned to Jesus for forgiveness. And if you were able to put yourselves in Peter's shoes, which I'm sure 
we can, and we would have done the same thing, sadly. I'm guessing. We all fail. And sadly, there's going to be times where we blow it again. Hopefully not. But if we do, God is waiting to restore us. He waits with open arms to, to forgive us and to lean on his work and his power to carry us through. I'm going to give you two real quick honorable mentions for points to ponder, um, just as a bonus in our last minute that we have. So uh, honorable mention number one is not even the strongest Christian is above failure in their witness to Christ. We're all prone to betrayal because even though we may be willing in spirit, our flesh is weak. As a guy named Ferguson puts it, our personal weaknesses need only the least pressure from temptation to bring us to our knees. Even the slightest temptations can just make us fall in a moment if we're relying on our strength. The other side of honorable mention number one, realizing that we are weak, is honorable mention number two. And that is to rely on God and trust in his strength and power. Practically, we do this by reading his words, looking the way Jesus lived, understanding the way he wants us to live, and remembering his promises and knowing that every single thing that Jesus says is going to happen is going to happen. We can take it to the bank. With that, let me, let me pray, and uh, you can be dismissed. Father, thank you for uh, this lesson. Uh, Lord, it's, it's, it's humbling and sobering to, to know that there can be even times where I can be ashamed of you, where I can be ashamed of the gospel. And that's a, that's a tough thing to swallow. But my prayer is for me and, and for these others here that, Lord, that you would strengthen us, that you would help us to see you as you truly are, that you, you would help us to, to know and to recount your promises so that we wouldn't follow just at a distance, but that we would never leave your side, that we could stand up against uh, the boldest and most intimidating situations that we're faced before our friends and at school, before our family, and that we can truly be found as, as faithful witnesses by your strength and your power. Please enable us to do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.